Hi guys and welcome back to the Box to Box Euro 2020 edition. This is our final Euro 2020 episode. We hope that you've enjoyed everything. Uh, obviously, I'll introduce myself, Nicholas Carapola, and I'm joined by the usual two, Ramzan Komodo. Hello, hello. And Subhan Chawi. Hi, guys. Yeah, um, guys, uh, I, don't know, I don't know about you two, but then the Euros, it's been exhausting, but at the same time, I guess it's been exhausting in a good way. Uh, all the midweek matches that we've probably been you know, setting aside our exam work for <laughs> to a certain extent. And um, <laughs> to be honest, you know, in, I don't know about you guys and I don't know about any of us that's listening, but I do not regret one bit <laughs> of, uh, you know, the time that I've actually made to watch these matches because especially since the round of 16 and the group F matches, this has probably been, yeah, we, we probably established it already, one of the best international tournaments in recent memory. <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard some people like uh, complain about uh, how we've had like so many extra time games. I'm like, yeah, this is tournament football. Yes, give me more extra time, please. <laughs> Honestly, it, I, wasn't mad, I wasn't mad at it at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, um, it increases it increases the dimension. Um, we we love to see penalty shootouts, and I think you even mentioned one time, Ramzan, that you know it's a real, it's you know it's a real penalty shootout when people are missing, people are skying it. Yes. And for me, it, yes. it's, boring. Yeah, it's boring when people score. As you want to see a couple of people miss, and we're going we're gonna to get into that <laughs> this episode. Uh, obviously, well, I'm actually hosting this entire episode today, uh, practically. So I'm going to be getting the point of views of Ramzan and Soaps uh, since well, these guys have um, had so many takes over the past few weeks. And yeah, uh, let's, let's get right into it. But then before we get into having to review this tournament as a whole and you know, give you guys the predictions for uh, the winners at the end of it. I have to, I have to get this topic point out, and it's it's very it's a very touchy subject, and it's it's the Ballon d'Or. Um, the Ballon d'Or is the most desirable individual honor in world football, and well, everybody knows that. And the topic in question today is, is, has the award been disrespected in recent weeks, probably months, or maybe overall in the most recent years as it's been getting handed out? Of course, it wasn't handed out last year because of the coronavirus and it not meeting the requirements to award someone. Otherwise, we probably all thought that uh, Lewandowski was a shoo-in. But... Um, just for the sake of the audience, I'm just going to lay out what the Ballon d'Or is actually about. Since we're talking about it being disrespected, it's best that we remind ourselves what it's really about. So it's given to the best player every calendar year, not season, but every calendar year. And uh, although the year is halfway through now, uh, it doesn't stop people from at least getting a good idea of who's going to win the coveted trophy. And uh, the criteria which you actually need to uh, uh, deep at the moment is that it gets awarded based on individual performance, goals, assists, clean sheets, man of the match performances. Those are the criteria. I, th- I think people probably forget the man of the match is actually is actually a thing. But then I guess maybe people don't care when Messi gets it. You know, almost every game. So I guess people don't really deep it that much. Uh, if, if it was. Yeah, is the man of the match like that big a deal? Because like then Messi is supposed to win. Because Messi's man of the match in like every game he plays. 
Yeah, and then that's why it's a bit, you know, it's a bit ridiculous that, well, he does that all the time. So does that mean that just because he gets it all the time, all of a sudden one man of the match does not matter anymore? But it's, it's just a factor within the overall scope. So it's not the determining thing, obviously. And uh, obviously, yeah, okay, the, okay, yeah, obviously a very determining factor is players who win major club and country competitions tend to do better in the Ballon d'Or than those people who have less silverware. And uh, at this stage, I would say there's probably five core candidates in Conte, KDB, Lewandowski, Mbappe, and Messi at the beginning of the year. But what my question is... Mbappe? Yeah, no, as I mean, like, well, on the overall scope, basically his, his, his thrust... Um, got buried by the fact that France got knocked out early. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, okay. Yeah, okay. That's just, that's okay. just one. Oh, okay. He, yeah. had the, he, had, he had his Champions League run as well. He had his Champions League run as well. But then now, what I've seen in the past few weeks is, is that a lot of fans, particularly people which you would say Ronaldo FC versus Messi FC, uh, you've seen Bappe in the run-in. All of a sudden, Conte wins the Champions League got mad at the match performances inside the business end and people mm. thought that he was going to win it. Then Conte got knocked out. People talking about Kevin De Bruyne. He got knocked out. And then people mm. are going to Kane, but then other people are going to Lukaku until he got knocked out. And then people are going to Jorginho now all of a sudden <laughs> acting like as if he was the best player at Chelsea the entire time, even though they're talking about Conte, but just because he can win the Euros. So mm. that's a bit ridiculous to me. So I want, I'm just asking you guys for you know some quick takes on this. Has the has the award lost some meaning? Ramzan, we'll start with you. Um, I think I think that I have. I, I don't really believe in uh, criterias. <laughs> I don't believe that a lot of things in the world are marked based on criterias. I think a lot of things are marked based on how how people feel about certain players um this is it goes out to what to captains coaches and stuff like that isn't it i don't no, know this, what one, exactly no, this, this, this one this one is journalists in particular oh, is this, 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 this one is journalists okay yeah. um yeah i don't know i don't know what the um who actually votes um but i I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of these people would agree with me that it's it's more about how um, um these players make you feel and the so the impact that that player has had um, maybe not just in a singular moment, as you're saying, but in uh, over over the course um, of the season, right? So, uh, okay, just to reiterate that, so you're talking about journalists having like um, you know quite an impact on on voting, right? Yeah. If a journalist is Spanish or or watches more Spanish football, reports on more Spanish football, um, I think the impact that Messi has, um, whether he's having a great game or whether he's having a mediocre game. I think is you know he he is definitely going to feel that more. He's almost going to be he's almost definitely going to uh, vote for Messi as compared to someone who is in a more uh, remote location. Uh, so for me, I don't know the Ballon d'Or. Looking at it too much in a criteria way is difficult, right? What I can do is is I can look at who has been the best player in my eyes, right? And I don't I don't think I'm too mad at people saying like Jorginho Alcanti should win the award. Um, it does make sense. Over the last couple of years, um, it seemed like all you had to do really was win the Champions League, um, um, win the Champions League or win a World Cup or something, and automatically you were like fired into the top five, 
right? So people saying that Jorginho should be in there, I don't think it's outrageous. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, for me, for me, it's more of a joke. But um, I definitely don't think it's outrageous. It's in line with how the award has been over the last couple of years. So I don't know if it's if the the if it's been watered down. Um, I think that winning winning the Ballon d'Or obviously changed a lot when Messi and Ronaldo started winning it a lot. Um, it will actually be interesting to see how the you know how people win it in the next couple of years. Okay, uh, yes, Subhan, uh, Subhan, do you have a do you have a take on this? No, I don't think it's been disrespected at all. And as for Jorginho, I don't think he'll win it because you know I, when I when I hear the Ballon d'Or, I'm thinking this guy is the best. He's been the best player of the year. So basically, he gets into every single team in the world. You know, yes. so for yes. me, Jorginho is not a player who gets into every single team in the world. I don't think he's the best player in the world. Or, he doesn't, or he he doesn't get. Like, he doesn't get into most teams. He doesn't get into most teams. <laughs> so I don't think he qualifies to win the Ballon d'Or. Nor does he qualify to be in the top five or whatever. And and that's why I don't really agree with the validation of saying that okay, you won the Champions League, you win the Ballon d'Or. No, this guy has he performed the whole season. How many men of the matches has Jorginho won? As you were saying, there's criteria. I think the criteria does help come up with uh, one answer. And for this year, if I was to make a prediction to who's going to win it, I think Messi's going to win it. I think it's well deserved. He won man of the match. I don't know in 20 game odd games out of the 30 plus he played. They did win a trophy, Copa Dore, and I think they're going to win Copa America as well. You have to find out about that. It's a shame we're recording early. If we recorded this on Monday, it would have been like, def- Messi's definitely winning the Ballon d'Or. Because yeah, yeah. I, think yeah. I think they are going to win Copa America. But we'll, we'll wait and see. So, disrespected? I don't think so. We haven't had any outrageous winners. Like, someone who didn't really deserve it, winning it, for me to say. Oh, last year, Lewandowski was robbed, honestly. Very I think, robbed. I don't, I don't know why they said that there wasn't enough football because the seasons were completed. They played the same number of games they would have played in any other year. So, like, why, why not give it to the best player of the year, which is Lewandowski? So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very strange, yeah. I wouldn't be mad if Lewandowski won it this year, just off merit of last year. But also, this season, he was the top goal scorer. He did score 40, 41 odd goals in the, in the league. So, he did break a record. So, I think... I don't know. It's a tough one. But Messi, will def- I think he'll probably get it. No disrespect. <laughs> no, um, no, I actually totally, well, some people might say that there's a Messi bias to the award, but in all honesty, like, you may, a lot of people may discredit his stance, mostly because of what happened in the Champions League. He wasn't good enough. But then he goes straight into this Copa America, unemployed. <laughs> Let's not forget that. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, yet, yet to get into a contract with Barcelona. We'll see how that, you know, we'll see how that turns out. That'll be a talking point probably in a future episode. Um, but at the same time, he's gone four goals. He's gone five assists. He's the best player in the Copa America by a mile, as in he is literally the top in both metrics. And you just feel as though if he wins the Copa America, then, you know, for me, just, you know, just based on precedence, he's probably going to win. And also this is the long-awaited international trophy that people want to win. Well, Messi FC in yeah. particular, the long-awaited trophy, Maradona, you know, passed away sadly. We almost feel like this is like they're like kind of the sentimental favorites um, to actually yeah. technically win uh, the Copa America. If, uh, if they win it, then yeah, he'll probably win the Ballon d'Or. But now, nah, for me, I won't. Yeah, it hasn't been disrespected yet. The award itself hasn't been disrespected just yet. Modric won it in 2018, which I don't really have a problem with. 
in like the grander scheme of things, although he kind of like showed one way to do it, and that is to be part of both uh, a Champions League winning team. And I guess going far in the World Cup, he did win the Golden Bowl at the World Cup. Let's not forget that. Uh, yeah. However, you almost think as though, you know, with Jorginho's logic, Rafael Varane is also a prominent member of Real Madrid's Champions League winning team, and he actually won the World Cup. Why wasn't he in the top three at least? We do not know. And that's why it's a very, you know, it's a very ridiculous award, you know, in general. But uh, I just think, you know, the way people have literally moved within the scope of seven, eight players in the past few weeks and saying that, you know, they should win it or they should win it just shows that maybe the trophy, you know, the agenda that you win it based on trophies is maybe a bit too far-fetched. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I think it's flawed, actually. Um, and I think it, it does have to go back to what Sopani is saying, that it, has this player been the best over the last 12 months, right? Um, I, I was just uh, thinking, just, just off this, I was thinking about Ronaldo um, early on today when you when you brought this up, and I was like, yo, Ronaldo's top goal scorer again. I mean, say what you want about Portugal, and say what you want about, uh, you know, about how he got the goals, but man, he's just everywhere all the time. You know, you just kind of always have an argument for him. Um, so it's it's very difficult to take this award actually off Ronaldo and and, and Messi because they yeah. still kind of feel like they still feel like the best to me. I don't know. No, it makes total sense. As in, <laughs> honestly, like I don't even know how they how they beat, but how they decided. And I'm actually happy the journalists are the ones that decide the award because if you take off the PFA players award which they give in the Premier League what a horrible take in my opinion to give it to Kevin De Bruyne when he hasn't even played like enough games to even match Kane's goal tally so it's uh you know I think maybe when you actually give it to players you know some people may say that they know the game more than anyone else but at the same time you almost feel as though they don't really focus too much on other people's performances they probably know the big names more than exactly how they play sometimes. Just because what well, you've seen in, in the flesh, you probably think, well, he's the best, but you don't actually look at the stats. They probably look at the stats the least, perhaps. But <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I think that's all we have to say about that. We will probably get back to the bound door probably later in the year, uh, but we should probably move on to the next talking point of this episode. Okay, so for this next part, we're talking about year 2020 back to what the whole title of the show is and yeah we we missed the quarters guys um we're sorry for that but unfortunately you know with uh, the weekly thing that we've been doing lately i think it's still fine for us to get straight into the semis uh the quarterfinals were good a lot of extra time spain did beat switzerland on penalties italy defeated belgium 2-1 england stat padded against ukraine uh, and Denmark made easy work of the Czech Republic. Um, but then the semifinals were a different story altogether. I think we'll start with Italy versus Spain. Uh, they drew 1-1 in the 90, and they ended up going to extra time and then eventually penalties. Italy did win on penalties. Morata and Danny Omo missed their penalties for Spain. Locatelli missed the first penalty for Italy, and um, there's been a really crazy metric that the team that takes the penalty, you know, the penalty shootout, the, the one that takes first, usually ends up winning the shootout. 
Uh, so I just want to get your word on this one, actually. Like, do you think that's like actually a thing, or is it more like just based on luck? <laughs> Penalties. Like scoring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just that no, we know that I don't know. I don't know whether it's like a mental thing that you have started the penalty shootout first. You're more likely to win when you started second. You're you're this, you know, you go after the first team, then all of a sudden you have like some sort of disadvantage. I don't know what it is. Or is it you just know that this person's gonna miss based on the nerves when you look in their eyes? I think it's all about nerves. It comes down to nerves and confidence. And Sometimes that's not even enough. You can even be the most confident person, but you still miss because it, I don't know. It's the pressure. Penalties come with some pressure, and I can't imagine the, and the, with the level of importance. I can't imagine how hard it was to step up for a penalty in a quarter or semi-final in 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 the Euros for your country, you know. But I don't know. It's luck. It comes down to luck, I think. It really does. In the end, it's like a game of cards. You you may or may not win. I understand that there's a lot of analysis that goes into these penalties, eh? Like keepers watch match footage of like over like ten years of how many how many penalties such such a player has taken, where he usually goes, and and all this and that. I think it's it's actually very difficult to score a penalty, especially if you've got Donnarumma in front of you, who is already massive on his own. But then when he stands in front of um uh, in front of a penalty, I think he even looks more massive. Uh, I remember, and this is just again just a bit off topic. I remember when when Peter Madumbo was was first eleven goalkeeper. I just never score against him ever. In fact, maybe I miss a lot. That's fine. But then I didn't really have that that thing that I could like, that I could score against him. You know, he was a short guy, but like how he filled up the goal, it was just like it was just crazy to me. So I think it's. Yeah, I think there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. On the on the Spain penalties, I don't know. I'm, I'm I was a bit disappointed with Spain, honestly. I, I think they could have, not that they should have won this game, but some of the so so the the Danny Omo penalty which he skied, okay, fine. Anyway, that happens. But then Morata has that last penalty, and it was just such a Morata thing to do, don't you think? Like he scores a nice goal on 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 this side, and then on the other side he goes and he does a horrendous miss. It's such a Morata thing to do. Uh, such so. a Morata thing. When the, you know, <laughs> I know, when the game started, I thought all Spain were lacking was a striker, and I was begging for Morata to come on. And when he came on, he proved me right because he, he got did. the goal. And then he missed but a penalty. Oh. <laughs> after I backed them, after I backed Spain to knock out Italy, he's hot and. He's hot and he's cold, and like there's just never any in between. It's crazy. I've never, I've actually never seen a player like him. <laughs> Are you actually being serious about that? You've never seen a player like that. Well, we know divisive players, or do you mean you've never seen a player which divides it like to this? Maybe a striker in particular that divides opinion this much. Uh, not not necessarily divides a, a opinion, but just more of. He either has an amazing game, which he's very capable of having. I think uh, he, he scored that like really nice goal a few a few days ago. I don't know what, what game that was when they when they won by like five 0 He scored that really nice goal, and he's very very capable of doing that. He can have a very very good game. It's just that at any point, you know, he's gonna miss a sitter. Like he just doesn't like fill you with confidence all the time, the way some of the other elite strikers do. So he's, uh, that's what I mean. But it's just a Morata thing. 
I don't know. Like when I say divide opinion, well, yeah, of course, maybe <laughs> on the end of our spectrum, we probably think that it's straightforward. He's just not good enough. But then for the Spanish people, you know, well, you have, you know, parts of the media says that, no, he is the right guy to be putting up against Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique staunchly believed in him, defended him, like, you know, weeks on edge. Every player will probably defend him, but then eventually just ends up benching him out of nowhere. And obviously there's people that have probably been, you know, targeting him on social media for the wrong reasons. And, you know, you see that finish, which he had in the round of 16, and you see those goals, which he scores. He's obviously a quality player, but... I don't know. Maybe he gives me Werner vibes. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I don't. I don't. I just don't know. Well, as a professional footballer, yeah, you can have confidence issues, but then there's just so many. When you miss so many easy chances, like it's like almost like a mind block. You almost don't know what's happening. I saw. I, I saw. Um. Just. Uh, just. I think it was a post. Not a. Not a. Uh, I think it was the. The pundits after the, the Sky Sports pundits after at the end of the, the Spain game when they were talking and they were talking about the Morata thing again and and so one of these guys he says that uh, so Morata scored a very nice goal and you can see the goal it comes at, it comes to him at pace um, it's a difficult goal to score it's in a difficult position and he scores that like with ease and he makes it look easy and he says that that's Morata Morata's very good at instinctive finishes but like when he just has a bit of time to think about it. Um, um, that's when that's when he has the potential to mess up. So he's very bad at one-on-ones, uh, very bad at you know maybe the easier finishes, quote unquote. Um, I thought he he had a point. Um, I don't know if that explains it perfectly, but I, I definitely think that he had a point. No, no, I totally got that. But then you know I'm personally relieved that Spain's not reached the final because for me it would just be too much a disservice this Spain team to reach the final and win it. And I think, and I think no, England should be more or less glad that Spain didn't reach the final because I think stylistically, I think so. stylistically, and I think so, I don't know whether Sopani agree with this, but stylistically, that is a team that England probably did not want to face because of the fact that they can dominate the world that they did. You're hearing stats, you're hearing stats from Pedri that he only had, he had like about 98% accuracy in passing. I don't know. They don't have an answer for Pedri in midfield. They you don't can throw an Declan Rice. At, you can throw Declan Rice at him, at Calvin Calvin Phillips at him. They don't have an answer for Pedri in midfield. Yo, that guy is is eighteen years old, bro. What the hell is he doing with ninety eight passes, ninety eight percent pass pass completion? And these are very difficult passes as well. He's not he's not passing at the in defense or anything like that. He's passing in the final third. That's a really good performance from him. You know, shout out to him. So, yeah, no, that, that makes absolute sense. Uh, but, yeah, so it's actually, would you prefer to get Spain in the final? Or are you happy that Italy have reached the final to well, face England, I suppose? It doesn't matter who is playing in the final. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whether it's Spain, whether it's Italy, it doesn't right. matter. <laughs> We're winning this. Uh, oh no, yeah. I, I think it's been a tougher challenge because of the position. Because English English players and possession, they struggle. That's why that's why England. Yeah, honestly, I think Italy's fine. They'll do well with Italy. Spinazzola's not there. Sterling's gonna have a yeah. nice running. I think yeah. oh sorry, no, Bukayo Saka's gonna have a uh it's gonna just be running through MSN. That's a highway right yeah. there where MSN yeah. is at the left 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 back position. So I think it'll be a very good final. Well contested, no doubt. But I see England winning. And once Kane tastes victory, 
once he knows what it feels like to win a trophy, ah, he's leaving Spurs for real. For real, for real, he's leaving. Then he's definitely leaving. He's gonna want to keep winning. He wants to. He's gonna want to win this season. And no, and he's not gonna do that with Nuno. So, I think it's going. It's going to be um, a reason for him to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah okay, guys. Okay, sorry. Guys, sorry. Just before we, just before we get off Italy and Spain, um, there was something that I actually noticed um in Italy uh, while I was watching the game, and so Chiellini and Bonucci have obviously gotten like a lot of praise for uh, their tournaments, and they've had they've both had like pretty good tournaments, but then, um. When they met up with uh, Danny Olmo, who was actually who actually had a very good game, I actually think he could have been man of the match. You know, uh, I know he's being remembered right now for his um, for his penalty, but I think he had a really good game, and m- much of that was because he was just like a second quicker than Bonucci and Chiellini almost all the time. He did like win a lot of those balls that kind of are coming to the defense. You think the defender should have it covered, and then he would just kind of like creep in out of nowhere. Do you think that that's going to be a problem against England? Because, you know, that Sterling guy, when he gets hot, when he gets hot, he could definitely cause similar sort of problems for them. Okay. Um, on, on that note, no. I was actually going to get to that, to be fair. But, yeah, you actually read my mind on that one. They did not look particularly good when you have more pace thrown at them. But then you looked at the Belgium game, and they played very conservatively against Belgium in, trans, in the transitional mm. phase. Whenever Lukaku was running... Bonucci and Chiellini were in front of the run, if you know what I mean. They were in front of the run. They never allowed a situation whereby Lukaku is off the shoulder, if you know what I mean. Because any player, no matter how, as you know, I think people probably have too many FIFA brains out there thinking that, you know, just because, you know, Kane isn't a pacey striker, but anybody which is a striker is probably faster than, you know, quite a few centre-backs in World Football, as long as you're faster than the next guy. And you're playing off the shoulder. You're always going to get in behind and you're going to score, or at least you're going to get one-on-one with the goalkeeper. So mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, you know, generally what they've been doing, they've actually been uh, on the front foot or at least one step ahead of the strikers that they played against pretty much all tournament, whereby they haven't gone into a direct foot race. And when they did get into um, a direct foot race, I think Spinozola had really been uh, how should I say, he's bailing them out quite a lot because he has the pace to recover, kind of like what Walker does for England, where the pace is there to recover yeah. just in case Stones and Maguire are flat-footed. Um, so you think Spinozola was doing that very well. Di Lorenzo as well has also been playing that very well because he hasn't been overlapping as much as the left side. And he has, you know, sub- you know substantial pace to also help those two out. But I think the fact that most of the teams that they've played have only had pace probably in one or two areas or probably just one area, probably just one player has been threatening with the pace. England can throw two at you, basically Saka yeah. and Sterling on both wings, or basically whichever winger they choose. Yeah, and Luke Shaw, Walker could also provide a, a devastating option in case he does overlap in certain instances. Since, um, although I think they will play back three, but um, no, we'll get into that. But no, I think Chiellini and Bonucci can get exposed in, um, in that sort of way. But then again, we should acknowledge how masterful they've been. Their passing has been first rate. Um, they do make maybe, I think Bonucci in particular has been suspect in making the odd mistake uh, here and there, which he hasn't been punished for yet. He may yet be punished for them. But yeah, the pace thing, then they look their age. Then they look like Bonucci and Chiellini, 35 or 36 years of age. 
I'm not too sure about the numbers, but I know that they're at least 35, uh, the both of them. But no, as in, you know, they've been, that experience uh, has been there for a long time. I'm actually gonna tell you, you two guys this, yeah. Um, normally slow center backs are probably better than most fast center backs. Fast center backs normally tend to use their pace to get out of tricky situations. But people that are yeah, slow, agree. yeah, people that are slow at center back are people that have more awareness. They have more tactical as, you know, uh, yeah, tactical awareness. They're more astute in their positioning. And that's why Bunchi and Chiellini have been keeping so many clean sheets at this age, because they know where to be placed in pretty much most situations. They won't be perfect all the time, but they do get it right. And they do get it right against England. Then I don't think there's too much to worry about, you know, as far as that's concerned. So uh, that's why I think that um, it's a 50-50 match, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into the final prediction there with the final take. I think old centre-backs are the way to go. I think if you're, if you're in the market for a centre-back, don't get someone who's 22. Get someone who's 36. Pay him high <laughs> wages. Buy, buy Sergio Ramos. Buy Thiago Silva. Get some experience in your team. Get some leadership. That's what's going to win your title. Don't get someone who's 22. <laughs> you don't want Ben White, Ramzan? You don't, you're not looking for Ben White? I, I'm not looking for Ben White. I've never seen Ben White play. It just, just, just to be totally honest, I've never seen him. Really? No. Nah. Really? No. Nah. You don't I've never seen him. No, nah, I've never seen him play. I, I, I can't lie to you. But anyway, if he, if he's an exciting prospect, he is expensive because obviously he's English. But um, if he's, if he's, if he's that good, then we'll, then we'll check him out. I would have much preferred Sergio Ramos if you ask me. Weight <laughs> <laughs> He can't yeah. fit the weight bill. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, no, um, as far as setbacks are concerned, well, yeah, you can have old gold or you can have, you know, new blood. But, uh, no, I think that will definitely be the talking point uh, in future episodes. Uh, now we have to move on to uh, England and Denmark. Um, I don't know, it almost makes you feel like you have to whisper when you mention England's name because the media, the fan base... <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I, I remember like I even posted uh, like literally the, the news headlines compiled up in like uh, a collage, you know, can you believe it? <laughs> you know, with Kane is like, you know, can you, but then, or can you believe it basically? Uh, you know, finally we've reached the final after what, 55 years, um, they haven't reached the final since 1966, which is astounding for you know, this is the country which more or less invented the game or well, disputed with China, but then yes. <sighs> they won 2-1, but an extra time. Uh, Damsgaard scored the first free kick at the Euros, which is, which is appalling considering how many class players, you know, these international sites, you know, are supposed to have, I suppose. <laughs> and, um, you know, Saka got in behind on Kane's pass created, um, you know, create an own goal, even though it's not an assist, but then it's an assist in my book, to be fair. <laughs> um, and the first thing which we had to get out is, is that, was that a penalty? I think, Ramzan, let's just start with you before we get so excited, you know, in this, in this segment. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it was not a penalty. It, it just wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't a penalty. He like he he is a diver. Him, he is a sly one. That one. He went Robin on us. He went Neymar on us. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I don't know. Whatever. He's a, he's a, he's a football player. And I guess 
I might do the same thing as well if I need a penalty to score, uh, you know, to get my team across. I hate the new rules, man. I hate the whole, even a little bit of contact is enough. Um, I feel like it just has to be more contact. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. Your foot is going to be hanging. Your foot is going to be hanging if a winger is faster than you. It's, it's so easy to get booked these days. And uh, not just to get booked, but to, 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 to get a penalty in the box. And even when Grealish came on, right, uh, just, just off this penalty, I could feel his, his runs going towards that. Like, this guy just wants a penalty. He literally just wants to go down in the box so Harry Kane takes a penalty. I hate it. Uh, no, I, and, and obviously, I don't like England as well. Yeah, so many times, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think in an in a international competition, in a semi-final, in, in extra time, you don't give that penalty. I don't, don't. think he was meant to do that. Just, you don't. You don't. It was, it was too cheap. It was too cheap to be given at such a great uh, such a great occasion. I think if, if it's Brighton versus Newcastle, game week 32, it's okay to give that as a penalty. But not not in a semi-final in which there's so much at stake. I think it was a very, very soft one. I can understand why Vag, I suppose, didn't overturn it. Because there was some form of contact, but it wasn't enough mm. contact. You understand? Like there was nowhere near enough contact for him to go down. But I guess he felt something. He took the knock. He went over. It went in our favor in the end. But I don't believe that should have been. Uh, as an, if I was a neutral, I'll tell you that it wasn't. But since I'm packing England, I'm happy that it was given. And I know, I know. In such cases, I saw. I think DT was tweeting that you guys are forgetting the number of calls that have gone against England in the big uh, competitions. Started bringing up Lampard in some games, started pulling up so many, you know, receipts of calls that went against them. Against them. So I guess in football, you win some, you lose some. And it's a shame because it's usually just a cause really just comes down to someone's opinion, the, the official's opinion at the time. So, yeah, they got VR, it. VR didn't take long with it, eh? Like within within a very, within a few seconds, they're like, "Yep, penalty." Ugh, I hate the English. <laughs> no, um, honestly, I think you know I just have a lot of ill will against it. I don't blame the referee for giving the penalty because you saw it was a very crowded box. Sterling literally switched on his turbo charge and just started running rampant into the box, and then he falls over. Any competent referee will probably, you know, especially since they can't really quite see, but they do see Sterling fall over. Then in real time, yeah, you give the penalty. But then, you know, I know they have this whole rule about, you know, it being a clear and obvious error. But then at the same time, if you're not sure and if you feel as though it might be a bit of a soft one, it doesn't matter if you are looking at it quickly. Tell the referee to go to the monitor and look at and look at it for himself because the more I remember I was watching the match and I was just like, well, maybe it is a penalty. I've seen them given. We've all seen them given, especially in the Premier League. We've seen those given. Uh, but then again, the only reason why we the only reason why we accept that they've been given is because we all think that English referees are probably not good enough anyways. But in a competition where the standards have been so high with the referees, I was so surprised that they didn't tell the referee, go look at the monitor. Because whenever I whenever I saw more and more replays of it, the more and more I just thought that no, this is not a penalty. And people were putting the agenda that, oh, I think was it one of the defenders for uh, Denmark, his left knee touched, or should I say brushed Sterling's right knee. <laughs> so 
<laughs> definitely was that. There definitely was that, but that's the, what I'm saying. There was, yeah, there was, but then the motion, when you see it in slow motion as well, the motion was that he was already falling down anyway. Whether he's going like literally, it's like you feel the touch, you feel like, and, and the contact is basically you're feeling someone else's skin, not like, not like any force, but you feel someone else's skin and you've gone over. And I don't know, for me, that's, you know, it's, it's just very cheap. Bappe also got a cheap penalty earlier in the tournament as well. It looked like a dive to me. He got it, Benzema scored, but. No, I think this is well. This is the way wingers play, but no, I think they should have at least allowed the VR check on the monitor. I think before I before I trash England anymore, and I, I don't think I will trash them ever again. I'm I'm over it now. I, I do need to sing some. I, I do need I, I to sing that. some phrases, right? I doubt that. No, no, no. Okay, I'll talk about Mason Mount another time, but I do need to sing some. Uh, sing some of their praises. Um, I think Sterling had a really, really good game. And I think we do, we, maybe we all fall into this trap, right? Of we see a player after a couple months and we're kind of like, he's done. And it's one of the reasons why, even at the beginning of the tournament, I backed Hazard. Because I do believe in, I do believe that, that you, know, you know, class is greater than form. I do believe that when the occasion comes, the good players do step up. And Sterling steps up. Sterling does feel like a captain in that team. I don't, I don't know um, what the proper dynamics are. I'm pretty sure it's maybe Kane, Henderson, and so on and so forth. But Sterling really does feel like a leader in that team. He was just electric in the second half of that, in the second half of that game. Okay, so second half and extra time. You know, he just felt like he's not getting tired. Like other people are getting tired, he's he's saying, guys, we're gonna we're gonna push on, we're gonna do this. So even when he won the penalty, I feel like it was very deserved. Um, the English media will paint it as Kane. Kane has done all this and that, but I think that the Sterling Sterling really has pushed in this tournament, and I think that he's gonna be player of the tournament as well. No, um, I agree with that. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> but before we actually get into the whole, I guess the overall review of. Um, you know, the labels of the tournament. I feel as though Southgate humiliated Jack Grealish a bit. I know it would have gone under the radar, but, you know, I'm just going to give a bit of a narrative that he looked he looked pissed. Like, generally, after he got subbed off, after 30 minutes, after coming on as a sub, I think it was probably, like, maybe penalty considerations. But then even at that, that was such a negative move in a game whereby you can see that maybe Southgate was a bit over-conservative because they had it in the bag from there, especially after the penalty in particular, they had it in the bag. And I'm seeing Southgate sub off Jack Grealish. And I'm just, I'm just looking, I'm just looking at him and just thinking that, well, imagine if England had lost the match, that would have been the headline <laughs> of the tournament, basically. Um, but I don't know whether I should look too deeply into it. I, um, I don't know whether Soaps has any words on this because I don't know, just, just something that's not right with the relationship between those two. Okay. You see, with, with Grealish getting subbed off, I liked what Jordan Henderson said at the end of the game. He said it's bigger than any individual. Uh, it was because of what they're trying to achieve in certain stages of the game. So this is now their goal up. Now they're trying to defend. So now he had to make a change. So now it was either Sterling or Grealish. I don't know, maybe it was a harsh it, it it was a harsh call to take him off being he just got subbed on. But like you can't sub off Sterling either. Because he's the captain, obviously. You cannot sub off Sterling. <laughs> so it was a tough one. So it was really he didn't he didn't really have a choice because he's trying to change the shape. He's trying to change the shape of the game. 
And I think Grealish will get over it. It's not, it wasn't really that deep. It wasn't that deep. So I told you guys, I told you guys yesterday that um, your hundred million worth of Grealish is some overrated guy. And uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll bite my tongue when after people listen to this, guys. I don't think that Grealish is as good as you guys make it make him seem. Right? You guys, you don't really understand. I think when what Prime Hazard was, Prime Hazard could take games, could take games, you know, to, by the scruff of his neck, and and go in and and produce something. Something magical. I just haven't seen it from Grealish yet, and I think that so I think that him coming off was Southgate's way of saying I haven't seen this from you as well, and uh, that's no one's fault. It's just that he's seen Sterling do it. So well, yeah, I, that, I have no issue with him going off. No, well, that's a bit of a relative uh, thing to say. Not to mention, how many Villa games do you even watch? But <laughs> um, we don't have to, you know, expose that, I suppose. But um, no. Um, I I think hundred million is a hundred million. No, 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 no. I think no. I think the price tag is like personally. I think it's inflated. I think he's probably like maybe fifty, sixty. That's like a realistic price tag for me. But then, yeah, Villa obviously don't want to let him go, and that's why they're making you pay oh, that much. James Madison is being priced at sixty million in this market. So are you saying James Madison and, and Jack Grealish are equals? Uh, personally, at some point they were. As in, oh, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe now, but no, either way, both of them are overpriced. I would say that ability-wise, you could say that Grealish probably has a bit more going for him, like, as far as dribbles. But then for me, it's like, at some point, I saw both of them as, yeah, like, around the same price, but then not 100 Nick, million, Nick, yeah. do you know what Jack Grealish is? Jack Grealish is Demba Ba at Newcastle. Or Papi Sisi at Newcastle. Mm. He's those guys. He's those guys who are exceptional for small clubs. Exceptional for small clubs. Put him around big boys. Zaha, the best example. Who? Zaha for Paris. Wolfram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he he is that guy. I I meant to see him. I meant to see him properly. Fine, and maybe and maybe that's my fault. Um, but I think I, I don't think the Jack Grealish has a problem. I just think he hasn't really announced himself with England. It's probably the same issue that Jaden Sancho and Foden have. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily yeah. that they are bad players. It's just that um, uh, big tournament. We need results. We need people who we are kind of sure about what they're going to do. I think that Bukayo Saka, Sterling, Kane give you something that's just a bit slightly more consistent than the other guys. Who and the other guys are very good. I think they're very tricky players as well. Um, I just think that these three are, are a bit more consistent. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, as in, I totally get it. But then, you know, honestly, Southgate has been, well, everything that he's done has come off. I just can't help to think that if they lose, then you look at everything the other way, then he gets criticized heavily. And, you know, Grealish, maybe, maybe Grealish shouldn't be too humiliated, but then Jaden Sancho should be. He signed for Man United, <laughs> and then he starts the Ukraine game. And then gets dropped immediately and didn't even come on from the bench in the next one. I guess maybe it's a whole collective, you know, group effort thing whereby Southgate doesn't want to simply play, uh, play people just, you know, for the sake of it. You know, just because, well, obviously he does have his favorites, you know, and he wants to be flexible in this tournament. But then I just find it to be a very odd way of management. But then I guess, um, you know, it's working. But then I just, I, I'm just very skeptical about it all but uh no it's, it's no problem at all um england are going to be facing italy in the final at wembley uh home field advantage guys you think 
because they're playing inside their own country and basically the stadium will be filled with more England fans than not, that probably helps them. I heard, I heard Wenger say that this tournament has been set up for England. They've played seven of the eight, six of the eight games or something like that at home. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want that? Wenger said, who wouldn't want that? Playing six of your eight games at home, who wouldn't want that? So I think it's really there. It's, it's, really, it's really been lined up for them to win it. They have no excuse. So was I that, think, yeah, it is very much an advantage. Was that, was that format, was it like that because of COVID and stuff like that? Um, why, why, did, why did it happen like that? They wouldn't have played as many games at Wembley. The semifinals and the finals were already slated for Wembley, but then the oh, games okay. that they played in the, the games that they played in the group stages, England were not supposed to be playing at Wembley that often. In fact, I don't think they were supposed to be playing at Wembley at all. Oh, okay, okay. That's, that's no, but I guess um, I guess uh, no. Um, we'll, we'll get to predicting our winners, but I think we have to look back at uh, you know, the predictions I've already made with the labels of the tournament. Oh, sorry, so, Nick. Yeah. Sorry, Nick, just, 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 before, just before we get to uh, predictions, um, do you remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about France? And I, I, I listened to this on, uh, on a different podcast, on uh, the Sam Ties podcast. Um, so, they, so they were saying that uh, with, with, with France, everyone looks at them and you think this is such a cohesive unit. And you and I have definitely spoken about this quite a lot. We see the way they play football and we feel like, yeah, this is... This really feels like a group of elite players who all understand each other. And then after the tournament comes out, um, you know, they come out of the tournament and then you hear, oh, this one had a problem with this one, but he's not happy with him. There were issues over Benzema and this and that and this and that. Do you think that that's something similar that could happen with England just in the occasion that they lose? If that's even possible. <laughs> if, they, if they lose, if they lose um, on Sunday, do you think that something comes up and and Greenish is not happy, and, and Sancho is not happy. And uh, to see that all, all, all those flowery things were actually not true, and that in, inside the camp there was actually like some animosity. Okay, um, there's, there's two ways to look at that. First of all, maybe the fact that France crashed out early, I guess that's why they crashed out early then. That's why they weren't defending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why their mentality wasn't good enough to, to beat Switzerland of all teams. England, on the other hand, they lose that final. I don't think things would come out like that. I feel like the media would obviously destroy them, as we know they can. And things <laughs> and I feel like there'll be more speculation rather than concrete problems because you know the thing about the thing about you know you know France and England is, is that they are two polar opposite countries. You can see that the you know France as a nation, you know quite uh, you know quite nationalistic, but then they a bit, are a bit more um, supportive. They've been a bit more supportive, as in like you don't really see too much outcry. You know if the national team does crash out, they're a bit more humble, and you do feel as though maybe like it's more about personal animosity. Um, but when you look at England. You don't see arrogance in the players, you see arrogance in the media, and it does seem as though uh, the spirit inside the camp has been very good. So I'll be very shocked if, um, if something like that came out and it turned out to be true. Although I do see a publication coming out that the Jack Lewis wasn't happy, Jane Sancho wasn't happy, yeah. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was very unhappy that, you know, uh, Kane was not going to a certain extent. Of course, he's the captain, but then how he was not getting, a, you know, 
enough of a chance to be subbed on at 60 minutes at least, always getting subbed on at 80 minutes plus. Uh, you look at Ben Showell, hasn't even gone to look in at all, but yet Mason Mount's been getting in all the time. As in, like, there could be so many things that, that could come out, which <laughs> could potentially um, be revealed after the news, but personally, I don't think so. But yeah, now we have to quickly look at um, the labels of the tournament, and I just want quick takes from uh, from you guys, and I think we'll expand more on the winners column. Uh, so overachievers, uh, Savani, quickly, <laughs> who are your overachievers? My overachievers for this tournament will have to be Denmark. They've made it to the semis. No one expected that of them. And they've been a really good side. They've been a solid side through and through. And that's why they are my overachievers. <laughs> Underachievers, uh, you should just probably continue this. Underachievers, for me, there's a few. France, <laughs> for starters. <laughs> I think many people back them to go far. Maybe not win it, but at least go far. At least go the distance. They didn't even go the distance. They didn't make it past a round of 16, I believe. Was that quartered? Uh, no, round of 16. One. They didn't go round, far. Round of 16. Oh, yeah, they didn't make it past 16. I expected them to be maybe getting knocked out now or maybe even playing on Sunday. So they've been a disappointing side. Um, another disappointing side, I think, was... Which other team was underwhelming? Netherlands. I think... Netherlands were very underwhelming, I think. But also, I think expectations, I don't know, but they're a good side. I don't know. What, yeah, they're definitely another side that are underwhelming. Netherlands, seconded. Golden ball? Second France, because France are top, I think. Yeah. Golden ball for me, Sterling. Sterling, <laughs> straight, of course. I, I don't even know why I even bothered asking. Uh, no, um, I think I'm, yeah. I'm not going to ask either of you about the golden boot, mostly because, well, it's, it's very narrow. So, uh, Ramzan, over, overachievers. Uh, for overachievers, I actually have Czech Republic. Um, I know that they, I know that, okay, they got to the quarterfinals, which I, I initially didn't think that they, they could do even, and maybe that's a bit harsh. They beat a Netherlands team that um, that collapsed, basically. I, I knew I knew that something like this for Netherlands would happen, but still, like Sovani is saying, I think they're a good side. They, I don't think the Netherlands should be getting out at the round of 16. Not when they have Czech Republic as a as a tie. Belgium comes out at the round of 16. Uh, oh, sorry, Portugal comes out at the round of 16. They played Belgium. You kind of understand. Some of these other teams, um, um, it, it doesn't make sense. So, so Netherlands, Netherlands um, as my underachievers and my overachievers, Czech Republic. Uh, it's just a coincidence that I guess they met. Um, my golden boy is Sterling. I think he's, I think he's been electric. He's, he's sort of player that if he can play like that, even for the season, I think that I, I don't think that any anyone in City can actually bench him. Um, it's it's sad that he doesn't always perform like this, and maybe that's because of tactical reasons. Um, and I don't know if there is a young player award, but just a shout out, Pedri, what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> no, I think, um, I, think I think the general consensus is, is that well, due to how far he reached uh, in comparison to the likes of Kai Havertz. Uh, and considering the fact that the likes of Saka and other youngsters haven't gotten consistent enough minutes, then yeah, it would have to be yeah. Pedri. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just give my take on this as well. Overachievers, 
you know, I, I won't say Italy because of their uh, European status and possibly because of the, the backdrop of uh, their unbeaten streak for 33 games. But no, I think it has to go. It has to go to Denmark mostly because, well, in all honesty, I didn't. I knew they were a good side, but I didn't think they're going to reach the semifinals. Part, particularly when you consider the context of them losing against Finland and the whole um, Ericsson situation. So, uh, yeah, under underachievers, I'm sorry, you cannot, you can't not pick France <laughs> because honestly, you can <laughs> you, you can pick up the Netherlands all you want, but the Netherlands weren't shoe-ins for the final. The Netherlands aren't world champions. <laughs> the Netherlands don't but have. Good side. The Netherlands don't have Benzema, Bappe, and Griezmann up front. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's almost like you're contradicting yourself a bit, just because well, you know how saucy that attack became. <laughs> you know how saucy that attack became, and obviously, you know people saying that oh, Benzema beef wasn't worth it. That's why Dutch shops decided to put him in, but no. Honestly, to, to, to crash out at the round of 16 and to have all that fallout, you know, to be revealed right after they, you know, they crash out. For me, no, they are the, they were the biggest underachievers of this tournament and nobody predicted it. And the fact that nobody predicted it just shows that they were the biggest underachievers. Yeah, it's true. Um, no, Golden Ball, I, I can't pick anyone besides Sterling. There's no constant. But then again, well, Jorginho, well, since he's going to win the Bounder, why can't he win the Golden Ball? But <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's a compelling also, one. That's a compelling one. That's what I was gonna say because well, you can use Modric's law all you want. At least Modric won the Golden Ball at the World Cup. But you're telling me that you want Jorginho to win the Ballon d'Or when he's probably not gonna win the Golden Ball. He's probably not gonna win UEFA's Best Player. You know that. You know that award uh, by UEFA. Inter. Yeah, he's probably not gonna win that. Yeah. He'll probably give it to someone else. And subjectively, even get that. And subjectively, and subjectively, no individual one. And subjectively, Mason Mount had a more prominent role um, in Chelsea's success. So I'm guessing if England win, they'll probably start pushing him then. <laughs> that just shows how ridiculous it is. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Mason Mount cannot win the Ballon d'Or. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also, he's also missed like at least well, you know, at least one or two matches. I think well, two matches basically. Uh, so, no, as in that just shows how ridiculous it is. But no, um, Golden Boy has to go to Sterling. He deserves it. And, uh, you know, there's just no other way to put it. Assists, goals, he's carried England. You take out his goals, England don't make it out of the group stages. Um, and, yeah, I think, well, Golden Boot, Ronaldo and Sheik are tied. But uh, Kane and Sterling are, I think, the closest challengers, um, you know, to, to break that off. But then... Well, I know Savani would probably subject. I think his... Kane is a yeah, obviously. Sterling yeah. needs to score a brace in the final, which is hard, but Kane just needs one goal to level up with them and a yeah. brace to win it. So I'd say Kane yeah. is the main contend. So yeah, Kane will probably contend uh, to do that, I suppose. But um, I think possibly if Italy do do their job in the final, then uh, it might be otherwise, but it doesn't really matter as long as Kane probably scores at least one or two. And apparently, let me just show you how. How and you know, let me. I just want to explain how how much Spurs is holding Kane back, because if Kane wins the Golden Boot uh, for the Euros and they win the Euros, he would have been a serious contender for the Ballon d'Or this year. But because he won nothing with Spurs, he's not even in contention. He's had an amazing season. <laughs> he's he's arguably been the best player all year. 
He, could, he should really be a serious contender for the Ballon d'Or King this year. But because he's won nothing with Spurs, they're really holding him back. <laughs> what what really an Arsenal fan. No, no, no. But then, no, but then this is actually factual. <laughs> this, this is factual. Ramzan, we've spoken about this. Literally, if you take away the trophies, um, actually, if you take away the trophies of every player, there's still players ahead of them. Lewandowski still has more stats than him. Messi still have more stats than him. That's why, because those people have trophies, that's why he's automatically out of contention for everything, yeah, to be honest. So, you know, the Euros is huge for him. If he even wants, like, he can actually, realistically, I see him getting a top three if he wins the Euros, as in, like, I, I, I foresee that, possibly. <laughs> um, but then maybe that's a bit, like, blown out of proportion. But, no, um, I think we now deserve to quickly talk about the winners. Uh We'll save soaps for last, I suppose, <laughs> just because, you know, just because. But um, Ramzan, who's, who's winning, Italy or England? Ah, I hate that I have to say this. I think England's going to win. Yeah? I don't want them to win. I hope Federico, <laughs> I hope Federico Chiesa, I hope Federico Chiesa come, comes up big and and gives problems to 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 to, to Kaoka. It's going to be a hard game for him as well. I think anyone who plays against Kaoke has a pretty difficult game. Um, but yeah, but I think but I think England's gonna win, eh? On penalties, on penalties, it's gonna re- it's gonna go the distance. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll just I'll just say a quick one on this before we go to subs. Um, I will obviously back with you, Dion. And this is this is hard. It's not like I'm. I'm not saying Italy are the heavy favorites, but it is a 50-50 match. It's as 50-50 as it gets. You're talking about the Italy side who have gone 1-0 up in every game they've played and an England side who have also led in most games, but then they haven't really conceded too many goals, to be fair. It's almost like these are two teams which are, um, you know, not really polar opposites, but like they're a perfect match for each other because you have one team which does take the initiative to make sure that they stamp it during the game and another team which... It's probably more conservative than the other. Italy have been playing Tiki Taka. I mean, that is probably a sentence that I probably never thought I'd ever say. Um, and although Immobile's form is concerning, considering the fact that he hasn't really been banging it as much as some people thought he would, because he does love taking a lot of pop shots and they don't really come off. But overall, uh, as the, if you want a team which is probably the best structured to beat England, then you probably think that Italy are the most uh, ideal team to probably end the dream of football coming home. And that's why I think they'll win it. So, oops. You don't even have to ask me. I've been preaching England are going to win. I've been telling England are going to win. And to be, fair, to be fair, I did have my doubts. I think when when we recorded the first episode, I th- I said I want them to win. I don't think they're gonna do it, and you know. But I think with each game, I've grown in belief, and I think it was the Germany game for me that completely won me over to say no, it's really coming home. So I think it is coming home. Come Sunday, Bukayo Saka is a Euro winner. <laughs> Honestly, I think you know maybe that's only plus for me. I just want to have a picture with him with the trophy, but <laughs> no, uh, I totally I totally get that, and I think. Um... No, uh, I do, I do, I do see an England win based on the fifty-fifty notion. As in, it's not like I've like blown them out of proportion. They can't win. If they do go to penalties, then I do fancy them statistically. 
Because have you noticed how you don't win two penalty shootouts in a row? It just doesn't happen. I don't know. It's just a, I don't know whether it's a psychological yeah, thing or a statistical thing, but then Spain were in two shootouts in a row. They win the first one, they lose the second one. Switzerland were in two shootouts in a row. They win the first one, they lost the second one. So I just don't, I just don't like the fact that we have to do it all over again. But then, um, you know, we'll see. I think it'll really go down to Mancini and Southgate's man management. Both of them have been pretty good at it so far, but we'll see who makes the mistake. I think that's probably going to be the determining factor. But yeah, um, will football come home or is football going to Rome? We yet to see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think we can, we can wrap up this episode, guys. Um, this has been the Box to Box Year 2020 edition. This is the final episode. And I think we've, we've, probably, we've probably gotten our watching worth. Um, this has been a great tournament. And we thank you guys for uh, going through this journey with us since we've been producing these extra episodes and we don't take any of the support for granted. And we do uh, probably love international tournaments more than ever now. So uh, we thank you guys and yeah, we'll see you guys next season.